Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. I am of the age, I am of the age, I know some of you think I'm not very old at all, some of you think I'm ancient, but I'm of the age where I have to plan what I'm eating. I have to plan, and I'm not talking about like meal prep or, uh, you know, intermittent fasting. I just have to plan ahead. Like, like Friday, I had, I, I had a bowl of chili, and so that meant an hour before that I had to take a pill, all right? Any, anybody else there with me, you know? It's, a, it's, oh, it's a hard reality. It's just, you just got to face it, you know? On Tuesday, I was going to watch a movie with, some, uh, with a friend. We're watching this movie, and I decided I'm going to have a, a soda. One soda. I decided I'm going to have this. And as a result, I could not sleep. And then when I did fall asleep, uh, I, my stomach hurt, and I woke back up. You know, that's just, who, 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 who would dare drink one soda at an indecent hour of 8 p.m., you know, and, uh, and pay for that? That's me. That's where I'm at, you know. I'm just in that spot where I, you know, if, if, I, if I eat the wrong thing or if I, if I drink the wrong thing, then my esophagus is going to be mad at me for a little while. And it's just the age that I'm at. I have to plan ahead. And you know what's worse is I know better. I know that this thing is going to do this. I know that this drink or this food is going to treat me this way. I was reaping what I had sown. I was reaping what I sown. Anybody else? Have you ever heard that phrase before? You reap what you sow? Anybody? Yeah, when I was growing up, I heard it a lot. My mom would say that to me. It's a, it's a parent thing to say. You say, you're going to reap what you sow. My mom was like, if you keep running your mouth, you're going to reap what you sow. Say it like that. You know, and it wasn't so much as advice as a threat. You know, it's just that sort of way. It's like when she said, if you keep hitting your brother, you are going to reap worse, okay? And she meant like right now, physical violence. That's what she meant. And I got to thinking about that this week because that's what the text teaches. The text teaches you reap what you sow. I got to thinking about it. Well, I have only ever heard it, and tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've only ever heard it in the negative sense. Only like you're doing bad things, you're going to get bad things happening to you. I've never heard anybody say, you know, you're such a nice guy. You're going to reap, you're going to reap what you sow. You know, nobody ever says that. Nobody ever says you're going to get nice things later. It's only negative stuff is coming to you. We only sow bad stuff around here. That's what, that's the impression that I get. You will reap what you sow. However, here's the interesting thing about it. Hosea chapter 10, Hosea chapter 10, verse 12 teaches the same concept. It says the exact same words. You will reap what you sow, but it says it in the positive sense of the word. In the positive sense. If you do good things, you'll get good things. In fact, in Galatians, where it is probably the most famous uh, you will reap what you sow passage, and it says it in the positive as well. It's a good thing. Reaping what you sow is intended to be uh, encouraging. It's intended to be the sort of thing that tells you, you know, you should do good things because good things will come back at you. That's what the Bible teaches about it. And so now to be clear, there are several passages that teach the same concept in the negative, but the Bible does teach it in the positive, including this text this morning. So that's what I hope to do. I hope this morning that we're going to redefine it. We're going to pick it up as adults and we're going to walk out of here thinking, you know, I'm going to be more intentional about what I say. I'm going to, I'm going to spend my life, spend my energies on righteousness. And then I'm going to work real hard. I'm going to be patient and I'm going to be thankful for God and his grace in all of these experiences. That's the true meaning behind 
reap what you sow. Before we look at that, let's pray together, and then we will we'll tear apart this verse, we'll put it all back together, and then we'll apply it to our lives. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you, to, to sing praises to your name together. God, we, we also thank you for the weather and for the joy that it inexplicably brings us, the, the cooler weather, the, 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 the fires and the pumpkin spice and all that. God, we give you glory for those things. We set aside now in this moment to rest in your grace, to open up the scriptures and open up our minds. We prepare our hearts in this simple fact that what you say is true, what we feel or what we think might be true, but we will change those to line up with your scripture. God, be with us. Give us that sort of strength, that sort of faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray together as one family. Amen. So like I said, Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Let me read it to you. It says this, Sow righteousness for yourself and reap faithful love. Sow what you reap, or reap what you sow. Break up your unplowed ground. It is time, right now, it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and sends righteousness on you like the rain. Reap what you sow, break up the ground. God's grace. That's the text this morning. The context of this passage is pretty simple. It's not any different from the rest of Hosea. We've been looking at Hosea. It's also not that different from Jonah and Amos and the other books that we've been looking at. The people at that time were living their lives according to their own standards. They just made up the rules and they decided this is the way that I'm going to live. I'm going to live however I want to live. So they had their own religion and it wasn't particularly like like really like polar opposite from following Yahweh. It was the, it was the practice of adding to a, a faith in Yahweh. So they still would claim to be Jehovah worshipers, Yahweh followers. They still would claim the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's just that they added stuff to it. In particular, they kept worshiping cows, all right? They just kept making calves, like these statues of calves and worshiping those things, which is, which is so crazy because God kept getting mad about that and they just kept doing it, right? And so they had this sort of quasi following Yahweh and then they added to it. It was a false religion. And then that births what it always births is a, a false standard. You know, if you have a false religion, you're going to base a false standard. So these people were running around saying, this is what I think about sexuality, this is what I think about marriage. This is what I think about finances and how I manage my life and my future, my purpose, my plan, why I'm on this planet. That's what they were saying. It's crazy, huh, that people were saying that kind of stuff. So they had this false religion, this false standard, which led to this false sense of security. They thought because their military was very strong and their economy was strong and that their nation was very strong, they thought there's no real consequences for the way that we act. We can do whatever we want to do, you know? And so they had this false sense of security. It's, it's crazy. It's strange. Who would, ever, who would ever live that way, you know? Taking religion and adding something to it, having their own standard, and then feeling like their military and their finances and their own nation could protect them from whatever God would want to judge. But that's the way those crazy people lived, you know? And, God, and Hosea steps into that spot and he says, hey, reminder, you will reap what you sow. You're going to reap what you sow. In fact, in verse 13, that's not our, our focus verse. 12 is our focus verse. In 13, he says, you've been, you've been really bad, and it's going to get worse, okay? That's what he says. In verse 12, though, he says the positive side of it, and that's what I want to do here this morning is just kind of look at that and remember it. Let's, let's just do this. Let's just take it phrase by phrase, pause, think about it deeply, and then we'll set that aside. We'll pick up the next phrase and do the same thing, and then at the end, you can put it all back together 
and then we'll walk out of here kind of understanding the verse. The first one is sow righteousness for yourself. Sow righteousness for yourself. You know what that means. It's like, it's like when a farmer has a, a big bag of seeds and, and they pick up the seeds and they throw them out. Or if you like have your little raised flower bed and you poke holes and then you put the little tomato seeds or something like that, it's sowing the right seeds, right righteousness, good things, good acts. It, it makes me ask the question, then what is the desirable fruit? right? If the concept is you will reap what you sow, then the idea behind that is that you should, you should sow good seeds so that you can get good fruit. So then what is the good fruit? What do we want in this life? I spent a little time this week really struggling with this word righteousness, thinking surely Hosea, God, the Holy Spirit has something specific in mind. Like there's a very specific uh, nuance to the word righteousness. You can't just soak. It's surely, it's surely not saying like, like do good things and then good things will happen to you. And, and I did some, some study into the languages. I did some study into the exegesis of, of the text and the original audience and all that sort of stuff. And the, the meaning behind this righteousness is if you do good things, good things will happen happen to you. That's what it means. There's nothing else deeper to it. Do good things. Like if our desired fruit is that we would have friends, then you ought to be what? Friendly. If you want to have friends, you should be friendly. If you want people to be kind to you, you know what you should do? Be kind to them. If you want to be surrounded by people who are trustworthy, you can believe what they say, then you ought to say what you say and mean what you say. You know, it's like that whole other phrase that my mom would say to me sometimes, that birds of a feather flock together. So if that's what you're wanting, if that's desire that you want in your life, then you ought to sow those kind of seeds in your lives. It's not more complicated than that. It's not more complicated than that. Uh, this, this, this logic holds up. Listen, if you will look up one day, if you look up one day and take an assessment of your friendships, and if all of your friends are a bunch of gossips and mean-spirited and nitpick everybody, Guess what you are? Probably. I can't judge you in that way. I'm not saying that, but probably, right? I've always told people, be very careful if everybody will gossip to you. If they will gossip to you, they are gossiping about you. Mark it down, take it to the bank. That's how it happens. So be very careful in the seeds that you sow. But we would do ourselves a disservice if all we did was to think of this biblical idea in terms of what I get. Because the real the real power behind reaping what you sow is not so much in the result as in the formation. It's not so much in the sort of gift or reward that you will get as much as it is in the person that you will become. Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. If you practice being friendly, if you practice being generous, if you practice being trustworthy and decent and, and, and a person of integrity, if you practice all of these sort of things, you will probably have those kind of actions brought back to you, but you will definitely be a generous, kind, decent person with integrity. And isn't that worth it? Isn't that worth it that, you would, that we would focus less on what I'm going to get in the future and more so on the sort of person that I am, more so on who I am and how I treat the world around me and less on how the world treats me. They're sowing their own seeds. I got to sow these seeds of righteousness. So it's not just about the result as it is that it is formational. I told y'all that this last summer I went over to California. We had a meeting over there. And so we went off and we visited uh, the Joshua Tree National Park. And I, I mean, there, I, I wanted to visit that park for one reason. It's named after me. And so I wanted to go see Joshua Tree National Park. I mean, just got to, you know, reckon, I was walking around like I was a diplomat, that sort of thing. 
And um, I bought a pack of Joshua tree seeds because how cool is that to have a tree that has your same name, you know? And so I, I brought it home and, and I planted it and, 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 and I'm expecting Joshua trees, right? That's what I'm expecting. How foolish would it be for me to bring home a pack that says Joshua tree seeds, plant that and say, I hope I get a, hope I get a peach. Hope I get a peach tree out of this, right? Hope we get some alfalfa grass or something. I don't know what, like if I just said something random, it would be foolish. It's illogical. You will get the seeds that you plant. That's reality. It really is a sobering thought because if you look in the mirror, if you assess your life, what are you getting? What, what are you surrounded by? That could be what you've been sowing, you know? If you teach everybody that it's okay to disrespect you, it's okay to cut you off or interrupt you when you're talking, it's okay to treat you like garbage and not hold up their side of the, if you just keep treating and you keep, get mad, I would say to you, stop letting them do that. Say, no, this is the line. We made an appointment, here's the appointment, I'm leaving, all right? You're fired or something like that, I don't know. You know, that kind of thing. We are reaping what we sow. You plant the Joshua tree seeds, you should expect a Joshua tree. That's just the reality of it. The other thing that we need to think about when we're thinking deeply about sowing seeds of righteousness is that seeds are very, very small, right? They're tiny. But in our world, we love, we love big things. We love dramatic things. We want one-stop shop. And so we look in the mirror one day and we go, you know, I'm not, I'm not a very nice person. I'm going to be a nice person from now on. And we want it to just be instant. We're waiting for a sermon, one sermon, one praise and worship song, one devotional book or one Bible study where I'm gonna read this one Bible verse and all of a sudden I'm gonna be this healthy, mature, uh, uh, vibrant Christian. And that's just not coming. That's not gonna happen. You know, it's small, incremental, tiny little steps. I thought about this when I was gonna say this, you know, because the Bible uses the mustard seed thing, so I don't wanna use that one. You know, there's other seeds. The seeds are tiny and Joshua tree seeds are kind of actually big. But then I was thinking of an avocado seed. You know, those things are huge, you know? You ever open up an avocado and it's like mostly seed and you get disappointed, you felt ripped off, you know? They're huge, but even at that compared to a Joshua, or not Joshua, um, an avocado tree, is the avocado trees are huge. So one little thing ultimately yields great things. Listen, don't discount don't discount daily habitual disciplines. You're like, I'll, I'll, I mean, I'm not a very good reader. I'll like it. I can just read five minutes a day in my Bible study. That's good. It's not bad. You're not less of a Christian or something like that. I tried to pray. This last week I prayed and I tried. I was going to be disciplined in my prayer. I prayed five out of seven days. Good. You just keep trying. It's little seeds that will grow into big Things. So let's not discount that. These little actions that will eventually grow into big things. Not only is it obviously, not only is it the sowing part, but eventually the point of the story is that you will reap faithful love. Faithful love is an attribute of God. It is considered his most, um, um, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but it is, it, it is a central attribute to God. He is the only one, the only one in all of scripture that is consistently, truly, forever, faithfully loving. A lot of us can, can do that occasionally, but eventually we waver, or there's shadow, that sort of stuff. Our hearts go in other directions, but not with God. The idea behind this is that if you do the things of God, you will, you will reap the, the favor of God. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you if you don't act right. It just means that he doesn't bless those who don't act right. And that makes sense, right? You do the things of God, you will reap the favor of God. This faithful love is something that takes time. Listen, 
One of the ideas that we often don't really appreciate about the idea of you will reap what you sow is that there is a whole season in between reaping and sowing. There's a whole time frame in between reaping and sowing. Like I said earlier, our culture, we like the big and the dramatic. We also like the, instant, the instantaneous, the right now. Like I want this fix right now. But there's season in between there. There is a waiting, there is a, a, a growth season. And it's not just waiting inactively. Patience in scripture is never inactive. The waiting period, you have to, you have to pull the weeds, you have, to, you have to run off the deer and the rabbits and the Peter rabbit, you know, that sort of stuff. And you have, to, you have to protect the garden. You have to do those sort of things all in the waiting before it's time to harvest. So it takes some time. Did you know it's on average 113 days to go from seed to tomato? It takes five to 15 years for most fruit-bearing trees to bear fruits. It takes time. There's a lot of time and you have to wait it out. This reminds me that we should also give other people time. We should give other people time. We have this weird thing that happens to us as, as a church, as Christians. I don't know where we got this idea. But somewhere along the lines, we kind of get the impression, and maybe it's us, maybe it's others, but it's the idea that like, before you can come in here and hang out with us, then you need to like be completely cleaned up. You know, you need to wear the right clothes and you can't say any of the bad words and you have to learn the right lingo, lingo and, and learn how to use a Bible. You need to kind of know some of the, the words to the songs, like all those songs we just sang a minute ago, like half of you are like, I've never even heard this song, you know? How do they all know this? You know, that sort of stuff. You're supposed to learn it, right? You need to learn it before you even come in here, that kind of feeling. And we expect that of others and others, I think they, they feel that from us. And so I'm saying this, if you're here and you're, and you're super like, I don't know what I'm doing, like a fish out of water feeling like, that's fine. That's fine. It takes time. It takes time. It took me a long time to learn all of those songs, right? It took us a long time to be who we are. So we have to give other people time and you have to give yourself some time. You have to give yourself some time. What I'm saying is this, is just because you aren't a fully developed, mature Christian yet, harvesting nothing but kindness and gentleness, love, patience, meekness, temperance, all that. Just because you haven't harvested all of that lately, it's not because you're failing. It takes time. There's 10 steps forward and two steps back. It takes time. This faithful love is reaped over time. You give other people time and you get time. In Galatians 6, 9, the whole idea of time is brought up. It says, let us not grow weary in doing good. Why would we grow weary in doing good? Because it takes time. You got to Last, you got to wait it out. For in due season, you will reap. You will reap what you sow. So in due season, this whole concept takes time. You plant the right things, you have patience. Ian Bounds says, I think Christians fail so often to get answers to their prayers because they do not wait long enough on God. They just drop down and say a few words and then jump up and forget it and expect God to answer them. Such praying always reminds me of a small boy ringing the doorbell ringing his neighbor's doorbell and then running away as fast as he can go. It takes time. Give yourself some time. Give other people time. So we need to sow constant, small, faithful acts over time. But not just that. Of course, the next phrase says, break up your unplowed ground. Break up. This is hard work. Everything that we're talking about here, reaping and sowing and breaking up the ground, they all require some sweat and some strength. It would do you no good for me to stand up here and lie to you and act like this whole thing is easy. 
And this whole thing is, is just, uh, it, it's, it's no worries, no sweat, man. Just, it's easy. Just be a Christian. And it's, it's, anybody else agree with me that sometimes Christianity is hard? It's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to be a Christ follower. And it's not because of the, necessarily because the culture that we live in or the way that the world has gone. It's hard to be a Christian because, because I am so very broken. It's hard to be a Christian because I am my own worst enemy. My, my heart is always creating these idols and my mind is always fearing and worrying about other things. I'm always laying down worship at the ground of something I've created or pursuing some God that is less than the real God. I'm always doing that and nobody's even making me do that. Christianity is hard. You have to break up that ground. We have to, we have to break up our, our, our heart in order to receive the message. Does anybody else like all week, I, I really struggle with this. I was going to fix the Bible because sometimes the Bible is not right and I need to fix it. And so this one says, sow, reap, and then break up. That's out of order, right? It's supposed to be break up and then you sow and then you reap it. And I thought about preaching it that way. I was going to fix it. I was going to flop it around there and, and, and you know, fix Hosea. And, um, but then it dawned on me that that, that that is logical. Break up, till the ground, sow, and then harvest and reap. That is logical. It is linear if you do it one time. But that's not life. We don't do this one time. We do this over and over and over again. You know, you finally got your sarcasm under control and then all of a sudden you've got like, a, like a something happens and one just slips out. You didn't even mean it, you know? You didn't even mean it. You could tell that you hurt that person's feelings. But now what are you gonna do, like apologize? Who does that, you know? You just, it's the way our hearts are. We just have to go over and over and over. You get into those meetings, into those stressful situations where you can feel that you are not in control, you're not self-controlled, and so your emotions run off this way and your mouth runs off that way. And, and this time, you did pretty good. You know, you walk away. The next meeting, you have to do it again, over and over again. Listen, there's no end to this. It's not just linear one time. It's over and over for the rest of your life. There is nobody that is fully mature in Christ. There's not. Everybody has a struggle. Everybody, the point is not like how high you score on the be like Christ scoreboard. There is no be like Christ scoreboard. It's a, that you keep walking forward with Jesus. That's the goal line. It's just keep walking forward with Jesus. You know, another encouragement that comes from this idea of breaking up the ground is, and this circular idea, is that if you look back on your garden right now and it's just filled with a bunch of stuff you wouldn't eat, then you can start again. We can start right now. You and I, us, the church, we can start right now. You look back on your life and I've, I've sown nothing but discord, gossip, and pain. I've been mean to other people. I've been, I've been rude. I've been self-serving. I have worshiped myself and my own interests and pride. And you look back on that whole garden, you're like, that's not good. And I would say to you, you're not dead yet. Let's, let's just till the thing up. Let's just till the whole thing up and we'll plant some good seeds. We'll start again, always and forever. You are always in every moment, sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. Right now, in this moment, you are sowing and reaping. Such a cool encouragement just by the order of the words. Sow, reap, break it up. Sow, reap break it up, do this again and again. It's a preparation thing. It's not just that it's hard work. It's not just that it's circular. It's not just that you can start again, but it is and it does teach the idea that we should prepare our hearts for what's coming. It's like when you come to church, you will get so much more out of church if you will prepare your heart. 
And preachers say stuff like that. You know that kind of stuff that preachers say? And it's like, I have no idea what he just said. It was like, take a pill. How do you prepare your heart? What do you do? And let me tell you. So I'll tell you. This is how you prepare your heart. You prepare your heart by changing your mind, right? You come into church and you're like, I am going to learn. I'm going to hear what the scriptures say. And then I'm going to try to apply that to my life. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not coming here to to laugh. I'm not coming here to be entertained. I'm not coming here to have my preferences met or somebody to encourage me. I'm here to find out the life that God has for me and to live out that life. The other way that we can do that is questioning why you think the way you think and more so why you feel the way you feel, all right? I don't wanna be all like, like, uh, like touchy-feely right now, but I'll just a little bit, just a little bit, doesn't hurt you to think about your feelings. One really great practice that you could put into your life is when you find yourself emotional, whatever the emotion is, let's say something just makes you happy. I don't know what it is. Uh, let's say it's like you step outside and there's this cool breeze. There's a, there's a, there's a crisp in the air, you know, and you're just happy. No, no, why? You're just happy. You want to sing a song or dance, but you're not going to because you're a full-grown man and we don't sing or dance, right? That sort of thing. Or let's say that you, something happens and you find yourself just mad. Like all of a sudden you're just mad. You're not mad at anybody. You're just angry within your heart. Here's what you need to do. You need to see those as like a bright light coming on and ask yourself, why do I feel this way? What is it that I am actually feeling? When I do this in my own life, even when if I'm not near Jackie, I will picture Jackie standing there going, why do you feel that way? What is causing this? And then I try to express it to pretend Jackie what I am feeling. I just, I, I, I don't know. Like I'm not mad at that person or that person. I'm, not, I'm actually, I feel like I'm insecure because of this, because of what, you know, and you get down to the root of it. It doesn't fix anything, but all it does is just, opens up your heart. It opens up your soul. The other thing is the way that we think about things. Why do you think the way that you think? The way that you believe certain things, that you think that this is superior to that, or that is this and that, you know, why do you feel that way? If you could peel back the layers and look at the base assumption, the base idea, if we could look, this is why I think this way. This is why I feel this way. It doesn't fix anything. It just opens up your heart to be changed by the scriptures to be changed by what God is doing, to be changed by the Holy Spirit. As long as you protect those assumptions, as long as you protect those uh, walls that you have built around your insecurities, you'll never change them. We need to break up the ground. You ever painted a room? You ever painted a room a light color over a dark color? You ever done that? I was a student minister for a long time, and in the 90s, the biggest student ministry uh, craze was painting youth rooms black. Like they would just paint them black and then they would let the students go in there with like brightly colored paint and they would just fling it all around, you know, like this. And and so I would go in often into student ministries and fix that because it looks ridiculous, you know, and it looks horrible. And you have to paint the the wall now tan or eggshell or white or gray or something like that. It's nicer. It's a a better color, that sort of stuff. Just sitting there. Thank you, Mr. Um, Previous Youth Guy. You know, that sort of stuff. And you know where I'm going with this. In order to do that, you have to what? You have to paint a primer on there. I have to paint it twice, you know, because somebody just let the junior high loose in here. That's what you got to do to your heart. It doesn't work. It doesn't work if you don't prepare it. All you're going to have is that other stuff just come through, bleed through. It's not going to work. You got to get down to the root of it and say, this is sin. I have, I was, oh man. 
one of the phrases we trip up so much in the South is, this is just the way I was raised. That is an ungodly statement. It's just the way I was raised. Now, if you're talking about like apple pie or football on Saturday, great. God bless you, you know, that kind of stuff. If you're talking about some sort of like deep-seated hatred towards another person or this, this refusal to consider something else, this is just the way I was raised. That's, that's a horrible thing. That's a horrible thing to build around that. Now, maybe you get down to the bottom and it's fine. But what if it's not? And you just keep walking around blaming your parents for it. It's not a good idea. So let's break up the ground. Let's sow the right seeds. Let's wait on God. Let's do the hard work, knowing that the hard things are often the right things. And then finally, he says here in the last verse, it is time right now, this morning, October 30th, it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and sends righteousness on you like the rain. Look, God sends righteousness. You are to sow righteousness. So the thing that you are trying to do is something God does, like the rain, this blessing from God. We all know that we need the rain and you can, here's, here's the thing about it is, you can go out of here and, and reject Jesus. You can say, I don't believe in that guy. I don't, I don't trust anything that the preacher says. I don't, I don't follow Jesus. And you can go out here and be kind to other people and people will be kind to you. You can go out here and be friendly and people will be your friends. It is just the way that God set it up. It's like a law. You don't have to be a Christian in order to be subject to the law of gravity, okay? It's just the law, just the way God set this thing up. So you can benefit from it, but it is only and very much short-lived. So later on when Jesus talks about like store up for yourself treasures in heaven and not on the earth where, where moths eat all your nice clothes and rust will break apart the metal and thieves will break in and steal that sort of stuff. He's talking about this. He says, you can do good, but it won't last. It won't last unless we put our faith and our trust in God, realizing that you can plow the ground, plant the right seeds, and be patient, but unless it rains and the sun shines, something only God can do, you will lose the whole crop. You will lose the whole crop. We need God to actually work in and through our lives. This is the true life. It reminds us that no matter what we do, it ain't about you. It ain't about you, right? Our good things, it's about the good of others and the glory of God. It's not about you, it's about others. So here's what I want to do. It's a great reminder for you to look to the person next to you and you tell them right now here in this moment, you tell them it ain't about you. Just go ahead and tell them, wives, this is your opportunity. Say it ain't about you. Nothing's about you. It's never been about you. Write it down. I will remind you later, sort of stuff. But here's the deal. It ain't about you, but it does involve you. It's not about you, but it does involve you. One of the heresies we could get from a text like this is like, I can do whatever I want and God's still gonna love me, right? God's, God's gonna love me. It's, a, it's like, I don't know about you, but like the best grass in my yard is always the section that is not sprinkled that, I, that nobody sees. The front yard, I got a baby like an infant, but the, the side yard over there is thick, it's green, all that kind of stuff. And that's the way that we think our Christianity is. Like I can do whatever I want. And God's still going, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. That's not the way that this works. God wants to make you more like Jesus. It's not that we just sit back and reap the residual effects of Jesus. And so it's not about me, but it does involve me. I need God's grace in my life. 
Like I told you, I went and got those Joshua tree seeds. Thought it was going to be so cool. Called it my, the, the baby Josh. That's the, the tree that it was. And, and I went and got a, um, a terracotta uh, little planter, you know, because you can't just get a ray like a plastic. It's a Joshua tree, y'all. It's special. And so I went and got a terracotta. It looked all southwest, you know, because I wanted it to feel at home. And so I, I ordered uh, soil for Joshua trees, all right? Somebody's just ripping me off, right? And so I put that in there. I plant my little baby Josh and I water baby Josh and all that kind of stuff. And then nothing. You know why? Because you can't grow Joshua trees in Arkansas. That's a reality. The little girl at the National Park Service ticket booth lied to me. She's like, yeah, you just water it. It's fine. It's a tree. It'll grow. That's what she says. But it doesn't grow. You know why they don't grow? I don't know. Humidity and stuff like that. Humidity, you can't grow Joshua trees in Arkansas. If you could grow Joshua trees in Arkansas, there would be Joshua trees in Arkansas. There's not Joshua trees in Arkansas. You can't grow them in Arkansas. Because why? Because that's not the way that God set it up. I don't know why he did that, but that's not the way that he set it up. Listen, this is our lives. You gotta sow, you gotta reap, and we gotta trust in God. That's the whole plan, that's the only plan. You do what you're supposed to do, and then you trust God for the results. It is the only plan. So let me ask you this. Let's get real serious and real honest if we can get this serious. What should you reap? What should you reap? Let's just take this last week. You look back at the garden that you sowed this last week, the seeds that you planted. If we were gonna cash in right now, to mix up the metaphors, if we were gonna cash in, if we were gonna harvest right now, what would you reap? You look back on the last seven days, was it good stuff? Is it stuff you'll eat? Is it nice or is it bad? Was it isolating? Was it lonely? Was it by itself? Was it meanness? Was it hatred? Was it self-serving? What should you reap? If I just look back at the last week, I'm not sure it's great. I'm not sure it's good. If I look back at the the whole of my life, if we did that right, what kind of salad are you making with your whole life? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it mostly bad? I think if we were honest, most of us would be like, It's not on the good side, all right? It's not Whole Foods, okay? It's something worse, something worse. And so here's the reality of it. I think that that is the truth of it. I think this is maybe why we all use the phrase in the negative. You will reap what you sow because in total, we tend to reap negative. And so mostly we harvest negative. But here's the good news. Jesus breaks this law. Jesus breaks this law. You do deserve the worst because you're the worst and I'm the worst and we're the worst, right? But Jesus breaks this law. He took all of that worst fruit on himself, all of those filthy rags, he took them on himself. He took all of that penalty and in exchange, he gave us righteousness. He says, here, you can have this. You can have this and it's like you did it. Jesus breaks this law for those who will trust. That's why the scripture says, this is the time. Now is the time that you seek God, that you trust in God. Those who trust in God, they are benefiting from this refreshing rain, this righteousness that comes from God, that Jesus broke this law and that he took our unrighteousness and gave us righteousness. And we receive that when we seek the Lord. So I would summarize it this simple way. This is how I would summarize this sermon. And you can write it down. Hard work plus time and patience And God's grace, that's the plan, that's the only plan. There's no shortcut to being Christ-like. There's no shortcut to living a life that honors God. This is the, the just simple, hard, consistent work. Wait, be patient, and trust God for the results. It's my actions, my reactions, and what God does. 
So be mindful of what you're sowing. The really big way, uh, takeaway here is for us to be less concerned about what we're gonna get and much more concerned about what it is that we do and who we are. Because ultimately, it'll reap good things. When I was in the ninth and 10th grade, I was in the FFA, all right? Uh, my little rural Texas school there. And I did the whole thing. I had the boots, the lace-up black boots. I had um, black jeans, white starched shirt, had a bolo tie, and I had uh, uh, corduroy, the blue corduroy jacket. Y'all, anybody else in the FFA when you were younger? Okay, great, great. And uh, yeah, there's four of us. And so uh, that's what I was in. I did that thing. And um, I didn't, I, I, and I liked it. I liked it a lot. And I didn't have any livestock. I didn't have any animals because we lived in sort of like a, a neighborhood. And uh, so we didn't have that. And uh, so I did parliamentary procedure, okay, stationed at the aisle. I was an officer, all right? I had no concern about being an American farmer in the future. All I had concern was Tanya Shulock was in the FFA and I and, um, was much more interested in her, all right? But turns out she wasn't that interested in me, which is fine because Wendy Shulock was also in the FFA and she was also interesting. So, and she was an officer, so I became an officer. And, uh, and I would go, we would go to these competitions and we would do parliamentary procedure, okay? Parliamentary procedure. And in particular, I, we would do resolutions. You know what resolutions are like? Whereas, 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 therefore, be it resolved, that type of thing, yeah? And I remember Mr. Kenneth Hancock, he was our ag teacher, okay? And he was the one who, who taught us how to do resolutions, all right? And, and stand up there with his cowboy hat and his Wranglers and that belt buckle that he won at some sort of competition. And he'd stand there and say, listen, you need some, you need some whereases and some, you need some commas here and some semicolons over there, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, uh, and it was, I just know, it was just my life, you know? And we drove around there and we competed in parliamentary procedure and giving resolutions and I loved it. And there were rules and it was so fun. You know, it was, it was my peoples, right? We did this. That was 24 years ago. And you know how often I have passed a resolution? You know how often I've ever done a resolution? Not one single time until Tuesday. This last Tuesday, I chaired a committee for the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. Okay, so we got all the Arkansas Baptists together and there was a committee and I chaired it. And you know which committee I chaired? The resolutions committee. So I'm sitting in there in this meeting with my little committee team there. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking about Mr. Hancock. And I'm thinking, yep, you need a semicolon there. <laughs> I know this stuff. Of course, of course I know whereas, you know, that's what you put there, you know, that sort of stuff. I did it, we did it. We passed four resolutions, fought about one and failed that one. So I, I did a pretty decent job. It was good, it was a good job, but could you, and it was a little rusty. I wasn't great, I'll be honest. I was a little rusty at some of it. You, could you imagine how much better I would have been if I had been watching documentaries on resolutions, reading Resolution Weekly, that sort of thing, talking to my friends about a good, decent, solid resolution? I'd be so much better at it, but I wasn't. But I still reaped what I had sown. Now, it's ridiculous, and I'm not sure anyone needs resolutions. But that's how it works in our lives. These little things that you sow, quarter of a century later, we'll come back and yield a harvest. There'll be a harvest. So let's be very mindful of what it is we're sowing. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.